0: Welcome to Greatness, where the world's leading thinkers share their ideas about how to create greatness. Great leaders, great teams, and great organizations. Why be good when you can be great? This is Gretchen Gable, and I'm so excited to welcome Dr. Luke Snuski, well-being coach, somatic therapist, and author to the Greatness podcast. Welcome, Luke.
1: Uh, Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, Luke's sitting in New Zealand and I'm sitting in Australia on a beautiful morning. I'm assuming it's a beautiful morning there as well. And um, Luke, we have a lot of important things to talk about, uh, not the least of which is your book. But I love to ask my guests to start, what in your life journey caused you to be so passionate about what you're passionate about today?
1: I think the, the the curiosity or passion or obsession with the human body really started um, when I was 15. I had never played a sport in my life, and all of a sudden, here I am taking an unathletic, uncoordinated, really slow human body, and somehow it's through you know training and all the different things that happen as you train through football, here this this body transforms, and I was so um, just. It was unbelievable to witness and experience and live through that transformation. It got me curious about all the other sort of potentials of the human body. So I just started exploring and it took me from professional sports to yoga meditation to meditation. But each time it was about accessing a different layer, a different subtlety or nuance of the human body. each time sort of enriching my understanding of what it means to be healthy, what it means to be happy, what it means to be to be content in in my own body and, and thus the world.
0: Mm, it's so interesting because I'm a curious person too. People ask me why I went back at the age of fifty to do my PhD and I and I said, I'm just really curious about some things that I want to go study. But the other word I, I love that you used is content. Because it's something that I I shouldn't, I don't know if I should say I struggle with it, but at times I thought, gosh, just be content. Nope, I'm off to the next adventure. But, but really deeply understanding what causes us to be happy and content is, um, is a great study. You and I were talking about your Ph.D. Um, before, we, um, before we started recording. What sent you off to do a Ph.D.?
1: Uh, It was circumstantial, but also serendipitous and probably my destiny to study what I did. Um, They often call PhD search, PhD me search. And so they say that because we research aspects of ourselves that we're Mm -hmm. most curious about, or we want to understand more deeply. And for me, meditation was, was the final sort of practice that I'd added to my tool belt of different, different modalities that I'd accumulated as a health and wellness professional. But it was really meditation sort of um, actually allowed me to access the experience of contentment. Speaking of contentment, for, for me, it wasn't until my body was content that my mind was at peace and relaxed. So it was, it was the pathway through the body that introduced me to that experiential, that, to that experience. But in terms of my PhD, I was able to merge two things, the passion that transformed my life as well as the behavior that I moved away from which was an inherent part of, or an intricate part of my um, healing journey, and that was pornography. So my PhD research actually focused on men with pornography addiction, and I was able to help other men who were facing the same challenge and facing the same struggles that I had passed through and lived through and knew there was another side to it, and it was it was a blessing. It was never my intention to make academic research a form of therapy, but it it just turned out that way, that many of the men who are doing the pre-study interviews shook my hand at the end of the research and said, I have never been able to speak to anybody about my porn use in my life, and this is the first time that I've been able to do that. And like I said, it wasn't meant to be therapy, but because there's so much stigma, because there's so much shame attached with this behavior, with this, with the, with pornography, sometimes it's hard for men to reach out for help. So it wasn't my intention, but here it was having this way of, of helping others. And then to introduce these very same men to the concept and practice of meditation. So rather than just trying to, you know, willpower your way out of a bad habit, and I know many people listening have had this experience that willpower only takes us so far.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And meditation is the opposite, is the opposite pathway for change. Rather than going somewhere, we are being completely still. So we're getting we're getting in touch and connecting with with the experiences of our body that drive that automatic conditioned reactive behavior. So the mm-hmm. hypothesis for lack of a better term was that if these men were able to sit with be with, observe, and learn how to be comfortable with the uncomfortable experiences of temptation, of craving, then they would be empowered to respond to those cravings in a different way in everyday life. So again, it was a gift that through my PhD research, research, I was able to help others, able to refine my understanding of meditation, as well as refine my understanding of, of the many different physiological and psychological aspects of porn use.
0: Mm-hmm. I have such admiration for people like yourself that will speak openly about the challenges that they've experienced in their life. Uh, I just did a LinkedIn post in uh, last well, a few weeks ago about failure. <clears throat> As I was thinking about on l- last year, I realized I was dwelling kind of on a couple of things that didn't go perfectly and, and not really focusing on the things that I had accomplished But I read a great article that it's through failure that we learn, and it propels us to the next level of who we are in the world. And so people like you that are willing to step up and say, hey, I had an addiction to pornography, and and here's how I overcame it, and to be able to help other people, I find amazing.
1: I think the experience is the best teacher. And as you said, it's through that pain, it's through that discomfort, it's through those challenging experiences that we actually grow. We don't, we don't pause when things are going great and say, I wonder why my life is so amazing right now. It's, it's when things are really bad that we actually, that's the spark that makes us reflect, that makes us say, what's actually going on here? What can I look at? What is, what is happening here? So again, that pain, the suffering, and this is consistent across many spiritual teachers and many paths, <clears throat> that pain is the impetus, the catalyst for growth and change.
0: Mm. So let's talk about your work. I'm sorry, let's talk about your book, (laughs) Soma Wise, Get Out of Your Head and Into Your Body. What is soma-wise? So
1: soma-wise is, I guess, a word that I kind of made up, but it's the combination of soma, which is the Latin word for body, and wise, wisdom. So soma-wise is meant to encapsulate the inherent wisdom that is present in, in my body, in your body, and in every single body, if we learn how to listen to that language and listen to the messages that the body is trying to tell us. When we live in a world that's dominated by thought, we get stuck In our ruminating patterns and again if anyone's had any experience with the ruminating patterns of their mind they can get quite dark quite quick and then we have many things to be fearful of many things to be anxious about and we get stuck in this vicious cycle this vicious loop another reason around why getting or living in the mind can be quite stressful is that we're not actually engaging with the real world We're living in our imagination and something strange happens when we start reacting to our fear-based thoughts as if they are real, that we actually manifest them because Mm -hmm. we are are reacting to them as if they are real. So our worst fears come true because we're treating them as if they are real. Mm -hmm. When we come back to the body, we come back to um, where the source of those uncomfortable thoughts come from. I, I have this analogy. The thoughts in our mind that are quite stress-inducing or stress-provoking, stress it's like the smoke that's coming from a fire. And no matter how much we fan away, as soon as we stop fanning away what's in front of our eyes, the smoke reappears. So the discomfort is still there. It's only It only disappears for a short amount of time. But the whole time, if we look down, and it's actually our body that's on fire. So when we come back into our body and we take care of the stress and we lower the inflammation and we reduce the tension in our body, what happens is that our mind experiences relief mm. and again the readers uh, the listeners might have uh, relate to this when you get a massage you lay on a table and someone massages physically releases tension from your physical body what happens at the end of the massage you open your eyes and you tell me gretchen what's the state of your mind after a massage peaceful i exactly. just
0: exactly <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah got, exa- four
0: days ago it felt great
1: Yeah, exactly. And so so it's interesting that one perspective of, let's say, meditation is that the mind is doing an activity. But another perspective, and maybe a more accurate one, would be that when we sit still and close our eyes, we're giving our body the chance to process. This is what Mm -hmm. happens in a massage. This is what happens when we fall asleep and we wake up. There was this period of stillness and silence that our body was able to process everything that it's been consuming throughout the day through through media, through food, through everything. I think I'll pause there.
0: Mm. Well, gosh, I mean, there's just so much to unpack there. It's really interesting because... I've been practicing a bit of a form of active meditation. And I think one of the things that I struggled with and, um, you know, guided meditation and everything. And, And so if you're, for our listeners out there, to realize that there's no right way to do meditation, I, I mean, is kind of what my personal journey's been. But you're the expert. Tell us.
1: So, so my perspective on meditation is is related to what you've just shared. That there is no right way because, as you've said, there's many different forms that meditation may look like on the surface. So, some people may prefer a walking meditation, an active meditation. Some people some people may prefer a, a Yin Yoga practice, or breath work, or some kind of some kind of um, iteration of mindfulness practice, but what's beneath the surface of that is this quality of stillness. So for me, stillness is this magic ingredient that changes meditation from a practice that makes it relaxing, peace inducing. And it changes it into something that's absolutely transformational. And the reason it does that is because of this quality of stillness. When we're physically still, when we allow ourselves to be fully present with what's happening in our body without reaction, without scratching that itch that comes up, without moving away or adjusting our shoulders or neck, if we relax into our experience instead of being tense and rigid and fighting against it, all of a sudden, we're coming into contact with those sensations and experiences that make us react to begin with. So it's by being present with these experiences and not reacting to them that we're able to actually practice a completely new way of being in the world. So rather than being a pinball in a pinball machine that's bouncing all over the place and reacting subconsciously, we're put in a position to actually choose a conscious way forward so choose a response this is where i think the the word responsibility comes from it's our ability to respond and stillness this quality of stillness is what allows for that ability to arise
0: wow I, i'd never thought about that responsibility but it's um, i've had an emotional intelligence coach for 8 years he's he's actually a really good friend of mine too And one of the things he taught me was to feel emotions happening in my body. And it's funny because our listeners can't see this, but you were just lifting your shoulders up to, that's where I, 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 feel like the hunchback of Notre Dame, that's where my, my stress manifests itself in my shoulders. But to understand when I'm being triggered, to understand when I'm about to, not, not to not experience emotions, but to react in a way that's not going to have the most positive impact for myself or the person that I'm interacting with.
1: Yes. And what you've just described is a conscious response. And it's through that ability to feel that emotion and feel our body that it puts us in a position to be able to have that conscious, conscious response. Otherwise, we're just going to subconsciously and automatically react in the same old way that our nervous system our nervous system has been conditioned to do so. So I love the way you've described that process because yes, it's that space, that time that says, okay, here's an emotion, here's a discomfort, here's a sensation, how do I want to respond that is in line with who I want to be and who I am rather than saying things that you don't mean or doing things that you have to apologize for later on.
0: And I think the other thing that I've learned is to be kind to myself when I'm not perfect at doing it. Um I was boarding a plane. I think it was my second flight after the lockdowns, obviously all of us in Melbourne and you've been through this in New Zealand, probably pretty severe lockdowns. And I went to scan my boarding pass to get on the plane and she said you're not on this flight. I was flying to Sydney for a dinner and um I said, "Well, this is flight and I read the number off and and she said, "Yeah, but no, you've been moved off this flight." And I'm and then I start feeling it because for me, when I have a plan and somebody messes with my plan that, and so that's another, I mean, it took me four decades to understand that really if somebody was messing with my plan, that was one of my key triggers. And the, 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 I'll have to tell you the punchline of the story. They did finally get me on the flight. I did, I did feel the emotion. I did not, you know, have a bad emotional reaction, but the next day I got an email from, um, a, a gentleman named Pat Gagel, I've gotten to know in Canberra, and I got a message from him and said, "Hey, my daughter got your boarding pass to Sydney yesterday. Did you get her boarding pass? Somehow they had swapped our flights. It was the weirdest thing." But, but also being kind to myself, if I if I'm not perfect in that, and and I see you smiling, yes, because I think
1: you're tapping into something that is so crucial in the process of change. Because there's many different entry points. A lot of people think that. If they fall into the same behavior or fall into the same reaction again, that they failed or that they've messed it up or that they didn't create change. And that is absolutely not true because there's one more opportunity to create change. And that's in what you're speaking about, which is that ability to be kind, that ability to be accepting of oneself. Because if we judge shame and guilt ourselves for that behavior, for that reaction, guess what that does? It fuels the next reaction. Because that's what provides the, the catalyst for the next round of reactivity to begin. If instead we apply some acceptance and some compassion, some self-compassion, some kindness, what you'll find is that you're interrupting the process for the next cycle. And I'll invite you and the listeners for one quick exercise is that or one quick example is that every behavior, no matter how self-destructive we believe it is, the the Negative core beliefs or the beliefs of ourselves that we label as negative, no matter how self-destructive or limiting we believe they are, at some point in our life, they were solutions for other problems. They were an adaptation. Mm. They didn't just emerge out of thin air. So essentially, when we're judging ourselves for the things that we're trying to move away from, we're judging the protector. We're judging the part of us that was protecting us at some point in our life when we needed it. And it doesn't Mm. serve us to demonize and to judge the very thing that was keeping us safe what serves us what's more helpful is to get curious about what that behavior or reaction has been protecting us from what is the pain Mm -hmm. that i'm not seeing that i'm not conscious of that i'm that i'm still avoiding or not looking at because that is what we want to get to rather than judging the superficial behavior itself
0: yeah and i think about um protecting ourselves self-medicating whether it's food alcohol pornography you know whatever that thing is um you're, that, that's a very wise way of thinking of it that we are protecting ourselves from something oh my gosh i just i have so many questions for you so i'm i'm listening out there obviously i need to read your book *Soma wise get out of your head and into your body um, i'm i 'm out there listening. I feel that I need to alter the path of my life in some way where Where do i start i think
1: it's it starts with self care I think when the body when we reduce the stress, when we reduce the inflammatory load, when we re- relieve the tension in our body it's not that it solves the challenges in our life that we are um, facing. What it does is it it allows us to face the challenges with more calmness, presence, groundedness, and clarity. So um, I'm going to take credit for this quote until someone else steals it from me, but self-care is about giving the best of you, not what's left of you. Mm -hmm. So when we do practice self-care, and I say self-care from the perspective of the body. So what can I give my body as a way to... Attend to its needs, and when we do that, we we find ourselves in a position where we're able to identify what it is that we actually want to work on and where we want to go more easily. And a practice, well, one practice. There are many practices out there. I can I don't know if you want some examples from my own tool belt or what has worked for me, but or if there's uh if there's something else that you're curious about. Yeah,
0: no, I'd love to hear some of the the tools in your tool belt.
1: Uh, well, uh, you might have guessed that meditation or more appropriately worded stillness. Stillness is probably at the very cornerstone of all the practices that I do. Not because, not simply because I actually practice stillness in the form of meditation, but also because you can take that quality and infuse other activities with stillness. So you can go to the gym And you can exercise with a sense of stillness. In other words, rather than blasting music and just trying to get through the workout, you can pay attention to the body and be very focused on each rep to see how your body is responding to this experience of exercise. Mm. Uh, A lot of people do cold exposure, like cold showers or ice baths or saunas. They can do heat exposure. And they do it and they're sort of tensing and and being rigid and trying to just count the seconds that they're in there and really suffering through the experience where the quality of stillness, instead, it invites us to really get curious. Again, that word curious, I wonder how my body is going to respond to this cold. Can I be okay in accepting of this experience of cold? Because I can assure you that the level of benefit Uh, from the physical, mental, and emotional perspective is going to be exponentially greater when we imbue, when we embody the quality of stillness with these practices.
0: Mm. So I'm really curious about um, neuroscience. Uh, I joke, gosh, four degrees should be enough. Maybe I'm going to go get a, a degree in neuroscience or something. But what are we learning through science about our brains and bodies that's helping inform how we think about all this?
1: What we're really learning is the intimate connection between mind and body. I think with the wave or a popular trend of positive thinking, it's disregarding the sheer um, magnitude, size and influence of the subconscious mind on our behaviors and our actions and our thoughts and our words. Mm. And what most people don't realize is that the subconscious mind and the body is pretty much two different ways of saying the same thing. When we think about the impact that our early childhood experiences have on our nervous system and then how that creates the conditioned reactions, that is guiding our everyday words, thoughts, and actions. When we're able to connect to the body, which means when we're able to connect to the subconscious mind, we gain access to the most important aspect of our decision-making. So it doesn't matter how many positive mantras we might have paste it on our phone screen so we can look at for reference, it's it's not going deep enough to really penetrate the deepest layers of where that change is actually most fundamental, which is here comes the stimulus, here comes a reaction. Can I stay present with that experience so that the reaction softens over time? And I get more comfortable with feeling that experience so I'm not as reactive. So it works from two directions. It softens the reaction, but it also makes us more comfortable being uncomfortable.
0: Mm. There's so much that I wish I knew 40 years ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, and, you and me both. <laughs> it's just so crazy. It's just like, gosh, if I, um, I, I mean, I think about, and I've heard this analogy about, analogy about, and it sounds like you're interrelating these, that meditation is kind of like going to the gym for your brain.
1: Yes. And what I I will argue, I will pose it this. We can consider meditation. I would prefer to use it rather than an activity of the mind. Because again, if we start viewing it as an activity of the mind, we get back into living in the head. Mm. When we view it as a gift to the body, we can perceive it in this way. We can say that firstly, It's simply a space where the body can process things, Mm -hmm. just like you do in sleep, just like you do in a massage. The second way to perceive it or to to engage with the practice is to say, I'm going to practice a different way of being in the world. I'm Mm -hmm. going to practice a different way of relating to my experience because I know that if I'm able to observe, curiously observe and accept what's happening here and choose a response, That's the very same quality that we want to lean on in everyday life when it actually matters, Mm -hmm. when we're triggered by a child, when we're triggered by our partner, when we're triggered by work, when we're triggered by by an airline at the airport, right? Right. So here is this experience where that ability to be present with ourselves is so important and where our practice actually uh, becomes meaningful.
0: Mm -hmm. I can tell I'm going to want to hand out your book like candy. Um, I have a few books like that that I just my my kids are 25 and 26 and poor things they've gotten more books from their mom about things because <laughs> it's just like gosh i wish i knew about some of this stuff in my 20s luke i could i could literally talk to you for hours about this and i i really am um i'm really grateful for people like you in the world that help us understand how to live a better version of ourselves and i can tell how passionate uh, you are about that any last parting tip? Uh, and I want to say your book again, Soma Wise, Get Out of Your Head and Into Your Body. Um, any parting tips for our listeners?
1: I think you said it. I think you already said it. You talked about being the best version of ourselves. And I think that's what this journey is all about. The practice of meditation for me is about becoming better at our own life. Right. So we all have different relationships work context, just life context. And the more we're able to be present in our bodies and be fully embodying our life, the better we get at our body. And that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful uh, place to be in.
0: All right. Thank you so much. Really grateful to you for carving out time to join us on The Greatness Podcast. Thank you, Gretchen. Interested in hearing more? Visit us at greatnessconsulting.com. Thank you.